You're now listening to Real Estate Journeys with Matthew Baltzell. Me on the top, man, no, won't stop me. Me on the top, man, no, won't stop me. Me on the top, man, no, won't stop me. Me on the, me on the, me on the top. Yo, 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 what's going on, everybody? This is your host, Matty B, a.k.a. Matthew Baltzell. And today, we have a special episode with my main man, Alex Reutenberg, a CPA based out of New York. Today, we are going to be covering investing in opportunity zones, taxes, and registering your real estate empire. Alex is a New York City-based CPA providing year-round full-service taxes, accounting, and advisory services for both individuals and companies. Alex has extensive experience working with real estate-related companies and investors. Alex has almost 15 years of experience in taxes related to all 50 states and internationally worked for firms like Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and PwC. Wow. With that said, let's jump into it and welcome Alex to the show. All right. Welcome, Alex, to the show. Alex, how are you doing today? Thank you, Matt. Pretty well, pretty well. And yourself? I'm doing, I'm doing really well, doing well. It's been a it's been a busy day, but we, uh, we're glad to have you on the show. Um, could you give the current uh, listeners a little bit about yourself and tell us about your current focus in uh, real estate? Sure thing. Uh, so background, a little bit of history about myself. Um, I've been in the tax accounting and finance world now for almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, have started off working for a small shop called Morgan Stanley. Uh, then moved on to Goldman, and then also on to um, PwC, and then most recently has have been the uh, tax director out at a global hedge fund, um, and now more recently I have been running my own practice, mm-hmm. um, where a very large group group of my clients are within the real estate world, mm-hmm. uh, being in New York. Uh, real estate is definitely front and center for yeah. a lot of discussions that a lot of people have. Um, and you can imagine how frequent um, real estate investing has been, especially spurred on most recently with the latest tax reform and opportunity zones uh, that have been going on. Yeah. yeah. How, how, uh, how big was the new tax code? that you had to, to read with Opportunity Zones? So Opportunity Zones are completely brand new. Um, it's definitely uh, something that's continuously changing. The regulations are being adjusted and updated. Um, still, as we speak, um, there's still a lot of things that people are expecting to mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's definitely given a lot of new blood and a lot of new excitement into investing in real estate. And then yep. also there's the added benefit of the deferral of capital gains for mm-hmm. up to seven years. Um, so people are basically able to defer any taxes that they're paying, um, up to seven years, yep. um, and get that benefit as well. Now, can you tell, for the people that don't know out there, what, what is the Opportunity Zone? Sure thing. So I think Opportunity Zones, um, the easiest way to explain it, it's a 1031 on steroids. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but what an opportunity zone is, it's a area that's been designated by the local government and approved by the federal government um, as an area that needs to be invested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that allows for you to receive is a deferral of capital gains, as mm-hmm. I mentioned before, for up to seven years, and then also um, a step up in basis as long as you've maintained that investment in the fund for t- at least 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some nuances and some requirements in order for you to qualify for it, uh, but it's basically a very positive way for uh, people to invest in areas that are deemed in need of um, investment for real Mm -hmm. estate to help develop new properties and help develop new housing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also has the added benefit for individuals who are investing um, to have a very nice um, exit strategy Mm -hmm. on these properties. And every state has an opportunity zone. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, all proper, all states have um, an opportunity zone, including D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a matter of finding the areas that work best for you and making mm-hmm. sure that you qualify for it. Now, I was uh, looking at the opportunity zones and they're not always in impoverished areas. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, when thinking about whether an area needs um, actual development um, and actual um, investing, you unfortunately need to think back to what that area was like back in 2010 and 2011 mm-hmm. um, because it's based on the census uh, for back in those years. Um, so, yeah. Can, can, you, can, the... you, can, you, can you explain that a little bit? What do you mean by... So 2010. Sure Sure thing. So the areas are based on the census maps Uh from 2010. And the last census that we had was back in 2010. Okay. Um, So based on the demographic and numbers um, for both income and assets within the area, Mm -hmm. that is how um, the opportunity zones were selected. Um, to be part of um, these areas that are highlighted as such. Mm -hmm. And when do the tax incentives start for the uh, Opportunity Zone? Is it this year? So it started back in 2017. Uh Um, The big push of individuals who are really willing to invest in it had started late 2018, early 2019. Mm-hmm. Now that more regulations have been coming out mm-hmm. um, and with the added regulations, people are starting to feel a little bit more and more comfortable mm-hmm. with actually investing in these areas, knowing what the requirements are. Mm-hmm. Um, but as things, as more regulations come out, I think more and more people will be investing in it. The yep. other reason that, 2019 is a very big year in investing mm-hmm. um, is in order to get the full seven-year deferral of uh, tax capital gains on it, on your gains, on your capital gains, and then also 
uh, a 15% step up in your basis of your capital gains. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got to be in there for seven years, where December 31st, 2026 is the key date. Mm -hmm. uh, in which you'll have to pay taxes on that deferred capital gain. Mm -hmm. And in order for you to get the full seven years, the money's got to be in the fund by December 31st, 20, uh, 2019. Mm. And is this just on new construction or is this repositioning properties or what is it What is it for exactly? Or, or is there so, broad, 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 broad strokes? Or? So it's a wide aspect of assets that could qualify for this. Uh -huh. uh, the biggest requirement is that it's not, it basically can't be a paint job. So okay. you can't buy a fully brand new constructed condo or building and then just pay for whatever the purchase price is and then just sit back and collect. Mm -hmm. What they're looking for is for people to make investing investments in the properties and in the areas. So if, you buy, let's say, a property for a million dollars. Yep. Let's say 20% of that cost is related to the land that the property is sitting on. Yep. So your purchase price is $800,000. Yep. You need to put into the property one, an additional $800,000. Um, so there is the question of whether or not the numbers make sense. How um, how quick do you have to put in that eight hundred thousand? Is that over that seven year period? No. So it, the these qualifications are uh, you have to deploy that money um, or that ground up or uh, rehabilitation within thirty months of the purchase price uh, of the purchase of the property. Uh, okay. That gives you time to get uh, permits and local authority approval on whatever it is that you're doing. Um, obviously if it's just a internal, um, renovation where you're doing a gut job, um, mm -hmm. obviously that's a little bit quicker to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but it all depends on the locality that you're working with and mm -hmm. what the local rules and regulations on construction are. Wow. Sounds like a, sounds like a great opportunity. So if somebody, if somebody's new, to real estate, this is, uh, uh, would you recommend, would you say that it's kind of like for the big boys or is this some, or is this an, a good opportunity for new investors to jump into? It's definitely something that's possible to be done, mm -hmm. uh, for new individuals, uh -huh. um, who are getting into it. The complexity of any real estate investment. Correct. Um, it, it's still there. Um, yeah. If somebody was looking to just simply buy something that's already pre-existing and collect rent, mm -hmm. uh, this is definitely not the thing to do mm -hmm. um, because it, the property just wouldn't qualify for, for an opportunity zone qualification. Yep. Um, this, I think, might not be best for somebody to do on their first try mm -hmm. or on their first project. Mm -hmm. um, because this will require um, quite a bit of capital intensiveness. Okay. And um, you're not going to be cash flowing on the property um, anytime soon. So okay. my what I've been seeing is 
usually these prop projects, best case scenario, three to four months before you're starting to see any cash flow. Um, more likely between nine and 12 months before you start seeing any cash flow um, coming in from rental income. Mm. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you have to have a little bit of experience and be on the right team. Um, well, I want to, I want to change gears and dial it down for a sec. So if you're new, let's say you're a new real estate investor and, you know, obviously you have tax season coming up, you know, uh, it's been busy for you, but let's say you're somebody that's wanting to start out. You're new to real estate. Maybe you have a couple properties. Um, what would you recommend as kind of like the first steps going of like setting up a business? Do I need a business? Do I need a bank account? Do I need credit cards? Or can you kind of just do what my mom did is just take money, put it in your account when you need money, take it out and kind of do it that way. Like what's the best way to kind of go about building up your real estate empire? Definitely. So I think if somebody's thinking about a uh, real estate empire, I think even though you're just getting in, you mm -hmm. need to take a step back and think about a couple of different factors. One is, um, what is your exit strategy? Mm -hmm. um, what is your goal with respect to the income and what type of income you're doing? Um, and then that will also guide you on how are you acquiring the properties and um, who are you working with? Now let's slowly start to unpack those mm -hmm. four major topics. Yeah. The first qu question is, what do you... What's your exit strategy? What are you looking to do? Um, mm -hmm. Some people go into real estate business to do quick flips. Mm -hmm. They'll buy distressed homes, whether it's at a foreclosure or just simply um, an estate sale, or um, perhaps somebody's just started to do um, some renovations and they've ran out of money. Um, so you basically are buying a property that's in really bad condition you're looking to just go in, do a renovation, um, and then sell it pretty quickly. Um, you're trying to hold the properties for as little as time as possible. Um, and you're trying to get your capital out so that you can redeploy it. Other individuals will basically buy and never sell. Uh, mm. There's the group of individual investors who take the position of, I will buy a property, do whatever maintenance or upkeep is necessary. I will get capital and equity out of it in different shapes and uh, manners. Mm -hmm. uh, but basically, they never plan to sell. And mm -hmm. their plan is to ultimately pass it on to the next generation. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's others who fall somewhere in, in the middle. Um, people will buy a property, hold on to it for a couple of years, maybe five, 10, whatever it might be. Yeah. And then once it gets to a certain point, they've basically said, all right, time to cash out, ring the cash register and start to liquidate some, uh, properties as either offers get made to them, or they just find the optimal, uh, point in which to sell a property and then move on to a different property. Now is refinancing um, is refinancing uh, an exit strategy as well. There's a lot of different ways. Um, refinancing, home equity lines of credit, uh, blanket loans. 
a lot of it has to do with the type of properties you're working with mm -hmm. and then also a question of um, what's available in your area with the type of financing that you're able to acquire. Mm -hmm. um, there's the traditional uh, big bank loans mm -hmm. um, and then there's also the Freddie or Fannie type of loans where you're able yep. to get, let's say, a 40-year non-recourse mortgage, which mm -hmm. would be a blanket across multiple properties. Um, so it all depends on, are you working with one and two family homes that are scattered across a city? Mm -hmm. Are you working with, let's say, a multifamily eight or 10 unit walk-ups? Or are you working with larger properties where it could be, let's say, 50 or 100 or 200 units um, that are in, let's say, a 10 or 15-story high-rise or mm -hmm. mid-rise. Um, so a lot of it depends on the area that you're working with, yeah. the type of real estate that's in that area, mm -hmm. and uh, what is your ultimate game plan? Mm. How long do you plan to hold the properties for? Um, and when do you plan to exit? Mm -hmm. So that's basically step two is to plan your exit strategy. Is that correct? It might even be step one because mm. before you go into the properties and okay. before you start setting up a particular structure, you want to know what your ultimate game plan is. Okay. Um, in order to know how to set up the very beginning, because if you know how you're going to exit the strategy and how you're going to exit the properties, you can structure the entry into them in a most tax efficient way. And mm. then also sometimes it's tax efficiency might not be the number one way of doing things. Yeah. It's also operational simplicity. Mm -hmm. And this brings us to the next point to look into. And that is, um, what do you need in order to properly operate? Um, mm -hmm. So you mentioned with your mom, just basically money comes in, put it into an account. Money is necessary to go out, just pull the money out. Mm -hmm. um, you want to maintain the separation between um, personal assets mm -hmm. and business assets mm -hmm. and business money and personal money. Um, mm -hmm. The reason you want to have that separation is um, in the event of a worst case scenario, mm -hmm. if there's ever any defaults or if there's any um, collections mm -hmm. so that they can't, uh, so that the banks or whoever the debtor, the person who's giving out the loans, um, they can't come back to you and say, well, you're commingling your assets and you're commingling your money. So therefore, everything is a combination of the two. And can you and explain? Can you explain what? Can you explain what commingling means? Because I don't think a lot of people are like commingling. Like, okay, you know, I put it here, I put it there. Like, what is like, what would what would the government consider commingling? Commingling, uh, sure thing. Um, it's the biggest thing here is to make sure that you have your um, personal money uh -huh. separate from the money and assets of the business. So you want to have, in an ideal world, a separate checking account for uh -huh. both, uh -huh. a separate credit card for both, and you also want it in the name of the business, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to just having two separate bank accounts 
um, in your own personal name. Um, and the reason that you want to have the separation of assets, liabilities, and cash is so that what can't happen is for as what's usually called as piercing the corporate veil. Yep. And that is the legal, and I am not an attorney, um, yeah. that is the legal definition of whether or not they can go after your personal assets and your personal um, cash yeah. is um, that, in order to collect on debts of the business. Is that in kind of in the same ballpark as like a chargeback or like chargeback states? Um, it, Do you know? Not 100% sure about that. Okay. Um, the, I, I guess it's a question of it depends or it depends yeah. on the nuances. Okay. Okay. It's probably, and it probably, I know, I know from there's like various states with chargeback rules of uh, going after people's assets. And that's why some people try and register their business in, uh, what is it, Nevada, Wyoming. I think Delaware and uh, it's, 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 it's in relation to the piercing the veil and being able to get that. But I guess that's a different going down a different avenue. So basically you're going to want to have separate, separate your accounts. You're going to have a business account. And so do you have to have a different account for each property? Or, or just a different LLC, or how does that work? So this is um, a big, it's a big determinant on how you structure your properties uh -huh. and how you're ultimately structuring your business. Uh -huh. um, so if you set up one entity where you're doing, let's say, flips, and uh -huh. it's basically the same you're basically buying a property, holding it for six to eight weeks to do the renovations and then sell it as yep. quickly as you can. Um, there might not be a need uh, for you to set up a separate LLC for every single deal. Mm -hmm. um, it all depends on the risks that are associated with that particular project. And then also um, how much assets are in there. And then also it's a question of the costs and complications of mm -hmm. setting something up because there are certain states where setting up a company is quick and easy. Uh, you can do it online and it's taken care of for you. Yeah. Um, and then there's other states where you could still do it online, but it will take you uh, two to three weeks perhaps to obtain this certificate of um, incorporation or any documents related to the entity um, back from the state. And then certain states will allow you to do um, what is called expedited service. Mm -hmm. Basically, they say, hey, as long as you're willing to pay us, we're willing to rush through your documents. Yeah. Um, other states say, that's lovely. We don't have that option. And uh, you need to get in line with everybody else. And we'll get back to you in two to three, three weeks. Mm. Interesting. Um, so it's a question of how quickly do you need the entity set up? how much of a cost is it? Um, and then also, what are you trying to protect? Sometimes 
uh, some individuals will try to over-engineer things. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't just go with the building of a building and over-engineering that. It also has to do with over-engineering the operations of their real estate, um, perhaps empire, um, mm-hmm. where people start going crazy and they'll set up a completely separate LLC for every single house and a separate uh, bank account for every LLC. Um, that if you think about, okay, fine, you have two or three houses and two or three entities, it's not that bad. But let's say you get to the size and operations of where you have 100 or 200 homes. Mm-hmm. Then you have 100 or 200 LLCs, and then you have 100 or 200 bank accounts. Yeah. Um, I will be the first one to tell you that most banks will have an issue in maintaining that many accounts for one individual. Mm-hmm. Um, I have clients who have 30 or 40 bank accounts, um, and that's completely manageable for them. Um, but we've had multiple issues with the banks having issues where, well, our operations aren't set up for more than 25 accounts. And mm-hmm. it's so they have to use, uh, there's multiple partners in the business, so they end up having to use um, different partners to set up the bank accounts because basically the bank said, we can't set up more bank accounts for this individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously this all depends on the size of your bank and how developed their back end and how developed their technology is, mm-hmm. which will... Um, dictate what you can and can't do. And that basically will also complicate taxes as well. The more bank accounts and more paperwork you have to do, is that correct? That is correct. Um, On a tax side of things, it it definitely makes things more complicated. Um, And this is where a question of structuring is very important Mm -hmm. Um, because you'll you'll have certain properties, especially the newer properties, that will generate a tax loss because mm-hmm. of depreciation, uh, repairs, or other investments that you're doing. Um, and then also them having a higher basis. So you're basically depreciating much more uh, much more on an annual basis mm-hmm. versus a older property that you've had where you've been able to hopefully increase your rent roll. Yeah. Um, and you've been able to perhaps not necessarily put too much money into it. Yeah. Uh, the amount of depreciation that's going to be generated on those properties is going to be much less um, than your newer properties. And as a result, the um, cash flow and net taxable income on those properties is going to be higher. So if you structure it correctly, you can have certain properties that are generating tax loss offset yep. the tax gains that are being generated by other properties so if you structure it correctly the taxes can be a little bit complicated but you'll get into a very optimal position where um you're using losses and gains from different properties to offset each other okay so basically just boils down to how do you structure it and once you structure it whether you do 25 accounts, one account, put it into a trust or whatever have you, 
you should not commingle the funds. And what happens if you do commingle the funds? Will you be caught right away? Do you pay a hefty tax burden? Are you at risk of losing your property? What what could be the possible uh, consequences of commingling of funds? So with commingling of funds, uh, nobody's going to come to you today or tomorrow saying, "Hey, you're doing this incorrectly. Um, you need to separate the cash accounts." Mm-hmm. Um, when this happens is at the worst time possible, and that's usually if you're going into either foreclosure or somebody's trying to collect on the house, mm-hmm. um, and they're trying to take the home back from you, and they come after you trying to collect on any anything in any way that they're able to. Yep. And th- if you start to fight it, um, they will start to look into how you're doing your operations and you can have an attorney that ends up requesting documents from you where they're saying, well, show us your bank statements. And if the bank statements that you're providing them has John Doe or uh, Jane Doe on top, where what you're doing is saying, okay, these 12 transactions are business related. Everything else is personal. That is when they're going to start basically going through it and basically saying, well, you're commingling assets, um, you're commingling cash. Um, we're going after any and all cash that you have mm-hmm. in order to get our uh, loan repaid. Now, let's say somebody listen is listening to Real Estate Journeys and they hear your expert advice and they're like, okay, like I'm, I'm already a little bit behind the eight ball, kind of commingled some funds already is there a way to now let's say you have been commingling funds go legit register an llc and from uh today you know uh, whatever whatever today is february 18th is there a way to go from like this present day your llc clears you put it in bank you know from this point on would you be okay but or is it once you've commingled you're kind of like screwed so basically putting a line in the sand is yep. definitely beneficial. Mm-hmm. So if you, you're listening to the podcast and you're like, okay, rent roll for February is either coming in or I've already received it or March is going to be your um, starting point. You want to at least show that you are getting on the correct way of doing things. Okay. Um, there's no guarantee that um, somebody won't try to press you on the fact that you've historically um, commingled assets. It's all a question of how long has it been going on for? Yeah. What are you doing with it now? And also, in what state are you at the time that you started to go from commingling to separation? Um, if it's basically your run of the mill, you just never knew, and you basically transitioned to separation of assets, mm-hmm. then that's one thing. But if, let's say, you're already in the procedures of foreclosure or um, anything along those lines, and then all of a sudden you start to separate the assets, mm-hmm. um, the courts might not look at it as favorably in, yeah. in that case. 
mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, let's say, you've done it for 20 years, everything's been totally fine, as in you've s- separated it um, and no longer commingle, and then 20 years later something happens, mm-hmm. they won't necessarily um, look at it as unfavorable, as opposed to you're in the midst of some sort of action and then you start to separate the two. Mm. Okay. And then what, so that was, so have we touched on number four yet? The fourth point? Um, the separate, the, we had, we did one, two and three. Did you say four yet? Uh, no, we haven't. The, the fourth one being the types of entities, um, and structuring. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different ways that you can structure your real estate empire. Um, a, a lot of it has to do with who are you working with. I love it how you keep calling it empire because I called it empire. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm like, I just said empire. Like, Your empire. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so a lot of it has to do with who are you working with. Yeah. Um, and the reason I say that is, so a very common thing that you will hear or see online is what you want is a S corp. Mm-hmm. Um, S corp might not be what you need and might not be the number one thing that works for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the requirements for an S corp is that the individuals cannot be foreign. So if you're looking to work with a partner who's providing you perhaps, let's say equity, and that individual is from outside the U.S. and does mm-hmm. not have a passport or green card, mm-hmm. um, you would not be able to qualify for an S-Corp. Mm. Um, so this is where it really depends on who are you working with um, and then what's the type of numbers that you're looking at. So certain individuals, perhaps, let's say they're making outside of real estate there they have a w-2 job or a 1099 miscellaneous job where mm-hmm. they're making let's say two to three hundred thousand dollars um and they're doing the real estate on a side as type of a side business where it's just basically a part-time they have let's say either they buy a two or three family home and they're rent- renting out the rest of it mm-hmm. um in that case if you're a high earner and you're passive in the business, um, there is what's considered a passive activity limitation. So mm-hmm. if your income is above $150,000, the losses that you're generating cannot be used to offset your ordinary income. Mm. Um, if you are below $100,000 of income, yep you should be able to use any losses to offset your ordinary income. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, it it becomes a question of what is most optimal for you to offset, let's say you're generating a $5,000 tax loss in your real estate business Mm -hmm. to take that $5,000 to offset, lower your income at a low tax bracket, or is it better for you to defer those losses for when you decide to perhaps sell the property or mm-hmm. when you're in a higher tax bracket. So these are the types of things that you need to look at. Do you want the losses to be flowing through to you 
in a matter of either a partnership or an S-Corp? Or do you want the losses and gains to be uh, captured within a C-Corp um, and they reside in that corporation separate from the individual taxes? Um, now, let's say you have a property in a different state. Do you register the LLC in that state or do you res register it where you reside? So my usual advice um, is to make things a lot simpler, to register the business where it's being operated. So if you have a property in Florida, set mm -hmm. up the company in Florida. If you have a property in Texas, set it up in Texas. Um, and then it becomes, so let's say you have properties in multiple states. Mm -hmm. Then it becomes a question, do I set up a separate company in each state? Mm -hmm. Or do you set up a single entity in perhaps your home state and then set up, register that entity in your what's considered foreign entity, foreign states. Mm -hmm. So you can have one single entity. Let's say you're in Texas. You're operating your business in Texas. You mm -hmm. have properties in Texas. You buy property within the state. So you'll set up a company in Texas to do your operations. Then you have somebody approaches you and says, hey, I have this great deal right on the border of Texas, just right over it, and you need to set up in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. um, so what you would do is you could either set up a separate entity in Louisiana or you can um, take your Texas company mm -hmm. and register it as a foreign entity in the state of Louisiana and foreign does not necessarily need to be foreign as in London or Paris. Yep. Um, it just means that it's not a local to that state. Mm -hmm. okay. um, so you're able to register the difference, the same entity in multiple locations. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it's basically kind of almost like a, a, like if you have like a pyramid, right? You're saying like the pyramid starts in Texas and then you have a different entity below that that's going to be in Florida. And then one from Florida can stem down and have three or four properties in that uh, entity. And then you have one or a foreign entity in California that could be under the, the, the umbrella of Texas. Is that correct? So you can even not just having multiple entities underneath it, you can even have the same entity mm. register into, uh, let's say you start going around Texas and you start going into Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico. You can literally have that same entity from Texas, just basically mm -hmm. register. And then the comp, not necessarily complication, but the requirement on the tax side of things yeah. would be that the Texas entity would now need to also um, file taxes in mm. Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, New Mexico. Wow. Okay. And so, if somebody's, if somebody, if somebody's, you know, considering these all these options that you presented, and and they've considered all four steps, 
would you recommend they contact a CPA, recommend they contact a real estate lawyer, or what would be the next step to consider uh, if they're like, okay, I want an S-Corp, I know how I want to tax, uh, go do it myself willy-nilly, or should they? who should they consult? So definitely um, it's something that individuals are able to do themselves. Mm-hmm. But if there's any sort of concern or any sort of reservations about it, um, definitely talk to a CPA, um, especially within each state and each locality. Mm-hmm. There are going to be particular nuances mm-hmm. um, that CPAs are usually going to know about. So mm-hmm. it also depends on what type of real estate you're doing, because if mm-hmm. you're going to be taking let's say, multiple units and putting them up on Airbnb, Yeah, there might be a local taxes that you need to collect. Mm-hmm. There might be hotel-like taxes that you need to charge. Um, mm-hmm. So it really does depend on your localities. And a local CPA would most definitely um, be able to guide you um, through the complexities and requirements of it. And I think it's important to emphasize a, a real estate CPA, right? Someone that's been specializing in that specific market and who has done uh, deals within real estate? Correct. So there isn't a, I guess, a technical definition of a real estate CPA, uh-huh. um, but there are definitely CPAs who have a very large practice or perhaps they specialize in purely real estate Uh um, who would do better Mm -hmm. than um, perhaps somebody who specializes in um, restaurants or something else. Um, So there are CPAs or accountants who will specialize um, in different areas and real estate is definitely a very large area into which people um, frequently specializing. Nice, nice. Well, man, Alex, you have gave us a wealth of knowledge today, dropping bombs on us about setting up corporations, how not to commingle funds. And I think it's been very helpful for a lot of listeners out there. Um, I know a lot of people aren't aware of this information and that's why I wanted to have you on the show. So I just wanted to thank you very much, uh, for being on the show. Uh, Let's just move to the show's closing. Uh, if you, Alex, could describe your business right now in three words, what would you say? Three words definitely makes it a little bit difficult, but um, I would say a um, growing practice. Okay. Um, large group uh, large area of that is definitely within real estate gotcha and for you what is a pain point or biggest challenge you faced right now in your business um i think the biggest challenge is when clients come to to us um post fact um and trying to find ways to correct things where the deal has already closed, um, especially with real estate, um, to correct a lot of the items. Um, it's really expensive because you need to sometimes have an extra closing or you have transaction costs. 
um, where the simplest way to do things is to talk about it beforehand so that we can document and prep everything correctly uh, prior to the closing and structure mm-hmm. things uh, prior to the original closing or acquisition of the property as mm-hmm. opposed to post-fact. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you very much, Alex, for being on the show. And I believe that we have a uh, free gift for the audience. Is that correct? You have a... a Yes. There will be a uh, beginner's guide for tax and accounting in real estate uh, that will be shared with the listeners. Nice. So if you guys want to claim that, go on over to rejpodcast.com and click on free investor swag. Once again, that is rejpodcast.com. Click on free investor swag, put in your email, and you'll have access to all that information. Well, Alex, I want to thank you once again very much for being on the show. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you? The best way to do that is tax at Alex, A-L-E-X, and then my last name, Reutenberg, R-O-Y-T-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Alex, for being on the show, and we'll uh, catch you on the next go-around. Thanks, Matt. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Journeys with Matthew Baltzell. To claim your free investor swag, head on over to rejpodcast.com and click on the tab Free Investor Swag.